0: The Paceline is supported by LAL Cycling. The Coast is calling. LAL shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. And the Paceline is brought to you by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, you deserve lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, healthiq.com forward slash paceline, and find out how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now, on to the show on the page line our own interpretation of the best laid plans of mice and men
1: I gotta stop thinking about the ride that is in my head as being some uh some protected and perfect object that must be honored to you know in the face of whatever circumstances bring and we go for one hell of a
0: ride on the Sonoma County Coast.
2: It was a little wet, a little sloppy, um, a couple trees we had to get over. Perfect. You know, this, yeah, this thing, it served up absolutely everything that you could hope for in a mixed surface event.
1: Line the podcast on two wheels. Welcome to show number 67. Oh, mercy! We are the longest running podcast in America, folks. We are. That's also not, no, no, we're not even close. But (laughs) what if we say it? Then isn't it true?
2: You got my hopes up and
1: stuff. (laughs) It is Hottie, Fatty, and Patrick, Patrick Brady of red kite <laughs> prayer fame not patty you're gonna decide I've been what given you're to gonna understand that point, you're not right? a big fan of that of that uh <laughs> nickname patrick
2: well i i already had one nickname i wasn't sure i needed a second one but you know i yeah. hey, i can play along we can put it you out can, to a
1: vote you can never have too many nicknames i that is that is that's probably true Yeah. You know, it I was going to say it's probably false, but anyway, so we are on iTunes and everywhere that you listen to podcasts, and we're going to ask you to rate us, review us, and just in general, let us know what you think, whether it is in the comment section at Red Kite Prayer or on iTunes. Speaking of iTunes, we got a new uh, rating this last week, and you know that we are, we currently have 52 five-star ratings it is not a half bad way to go. There is just one problem with our show, according to this latest review, which I'm going to read.
2: It's only weekly?
1: Oh, if only, if only it were that complimentary. So WW, WDW Man says, love the show, except when Fatty gets into his long-winded discussions <coughs> about his weird and strange bike races.
2: that's the whole reason I'm here.
1: I was going to say, if you don't want long winded (laughs) and strange bike races, uh, you shouldn't let me near a mic. It is (laughs) just, it is who I am. And, uh, it is your specialty. Yeah. Well, it is, it is. Um, that said, I am not going to, I promise this time, uh, give a long winded discussion of a bike race. I'm going to, long-windedly discuss instead training and things that don't go as planned while training. Uh, And and if you guys are okay, I would like to jump right into that discussion right now. Sure. Sure. You down with that? You down with that, guys? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to start with a question. Are you guys okay with it when there is a mid-ride plan change? Patrick.
2: Um, I, I'm not a fan of moving targets. Uh. If, if there are circumstances that necessitate adaptation, like, you know, say somebody, say somebody, you know, goes down and we need to get them home. And so we're going to cut the ride short. I'm good sure. with that. Uh, if someone cuts a tire so badly and we need to cut a ride short because of that, I'm good with that. If we get 60 miles into a 75-mile ride and somebody's feeling really good and thinks we ought to do 92 instead, no. That's a big fat sack of a, uh-uh.
1: How about you, Hottie?
0: What do you think? I, I can totally roll with it usually. If somebody says, we're cutting the ride short and I want to go longer, I go longer. If the opposite is the case, they want to suddenly go longer, and I'm not into that, I just wave bye-bye and go do my own thing. If I want dirt and they want pavement, I head for the dirt. So I I don't uh, make my plans around others. I make my plan, and if my plan fits into somebody else's, terrific. And if it doesn't, <laughs> so be it. If and it kind of matches up for a short time, that's cool too. So that's kind of how I've learned to operate over time because inevitably you end up either training on someone else's plan working on someone else's time, having to go down with someone else's crash or someone else's problem and it gets in the way of what you're trying to get accomplished if you're actually trying to train now if you're just out to ride and do whatever then eh, you and you just ride with uh, roll with the punches.
1: See, I'm sort of in between the two of you. I, uh, like Hottie, am willing to go along and and just enjoy whatever the ride brings. But I'm like Patrick in that deep underneath, I'm kind of irritated if the ride changes. And I don't know what that says about me, but I'm pretty sure it is not something good. <laughs> I, I am passively aggressively against ride Plan changes that if we are going and we have had a you know, we've got a hundred mile ride plan, and 60 miles in, someone says, You know what? I feel like 120 or I feel like 85. I am like, Okay, that sounds good. And underneath, I am seething. I am like, No, we said a hundred miles, but I don't say anything. So, I, I, my a couple of weeks ago, just by way of illustration. Um, my wife and I were planning to do a 100-mile ride. And this is in St. George, nice sunny weekend. And we get up uh, to the top of Snow Canyon. We both have really gunned it. It's a tough climb. And we turn left, and the wind hits us like a ton of bricks, just hard enough that it pretty much takes me off the road and hard enough that it does, in fact, blow my wife off the road, off the shoulder and into the dirt plan change and she says let's change let's change the ride we got it you know this just you know we can't go on in this and of course i said yeah you're right but in my head i am thinking i think we could have done this which is completely <laughs> insane so really my question is am i the worst riding buddy in the whole world maybe i wanted to I, I wanted my wife to continue trying to ride into a crosswind that was so severe it literally knocked her off the road.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. I, I, um, yeah. the worst.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: and, oh, and,
2: and, and you, were, you were bright and sunny and sure, and then inside you were seething?
1: I, I was. I was a little bit bummed out <clears> because <throat> we had this plan, and the weekend was planned. But here's the thing. We, we went ahead and rode, you know, turned around, retraced our steps back to uh, the place we were staying and agreed, what if we swap out to mountain bikes and ride dirt for a while? Because there, you know, there was some protection from the wind and also wind isn't quite as much of a factor when you're mountain biking anyway. And so we go on a mountain bike ride and it turned out pretty good. And then we- the next day... Okay. Go ahead. I yeah, was just going to
2: ask. You know, uh, let's just talk for a moment. Just a moment. Not a big digression, but just a moment about Utah wind. Uh, I have experienced it, and Utah wind is not like just any other wind. I've only other been. I've only been to one other state in the union where I disliked the wind <laughs> as intensely as I did in Utah, and that was Oklahoma.
1: Uh, you know, it's it's not always it's that bad. I mean, sure. And of course, you know, desert wind different from alpine mountainous wind, and gusty wind is in the spring is different from uh, what you might get in the summer or autumn. But this was this was gusty, punchy wind that would actually change your line um, and surprise you. So, uh, it actually the mountain biking uh, we did was a little bit odd. We were on the Zen Trail. And every once in a while, the wind would hit you, and it would mess up your line. And if you are, say, doing a drop at the moment, that would get a little tricky and spooky. <laughs> but uh, wow! But we had we had a lot of fun, and you know, n- no damage. And then the next day, we went ahead and did the pl- the ride we had originally planned, and uh, on, on the road, the hundred mile ride, and it went great. I mean, it was it was so much better than if we would have tried to slog against the wind the whole day. It was just perfect, you know, no, uh, pleasant weather, no serious wind. Uh, anytime there was wind, it was more just enough to kind of cool you down and be refreshing instead of, you know, knock you off the pavement. And it made me think that I am an idiot (laughs) really more than anything else that I got I to gotta stop thinking about the ride that is in my head as being some, uh, some protected and perfect object that must be honored to, you know, in the face of whatever circumstances bring. And I'm curious whether there are other people who are like me, where once they have a plan in their head, get a little bit twisted up if that plan gets changed.
2: Oh, I've totally ridden with that person. Several of that people uh, yeah it, it, you're not the only one I wish you were but you're you're definitely not the only <laughs> one
1: is it i mean is, is it just a a cyclist kind of thing are there runners who are like that too or is it just a person type and are we really miserable to be around <laughs> is oh, the I, question I've done some that studies
2: on this and you know uh, according to the latest in psychological reach, research about sixteen percent of the population is is like this
1: <laughs> sixteen yeah I I would have guessed 17.25.
2: Well, you see there, you'd be wrong.
1: Yeah, I was off by one and a quarter percent. So anyway, I just, (laughs) in the end, fantastic weekend. In summation. Amazing. In summation, I'm an idiot, and I had a great time when I just actually accepted that plans got to change sometime. So that is my uh, mid-year's resolution. I am going to just do the ride that needs to be done, rather than the ride that is in my head. Ta-da! Look, <laughs> I'm a better person already. Speaking of uh, things that don't go as planned, though, uh, last week did not go as planned at all. As you guys know, I've been uh, I've been coached uh, by Jonathan Vodders this uh, this last season. You're such and a name dropper. I, oh, I'm totally, and I, it's going to get worse. I promise you. Oh, he joy. gave <laughs> he gave me a a plan for like nine days a little while ago because I don't know he had something going on. I guess I don't know what it was, um, and so I I'm doing this and my week just falls apart. I have uh, I have plans that uh, fall apart. I have work that becomes really intense and stressful, and I just have reasons that I can't do things as I ought to. And it bothers me to no end. I am, as the days go on, and I am either having to do a changed version or occasionally the right version or sometimes not being able to do much at all. I am thinking this is it. My training is just totally down the toilet.
2: So you're and saying that when your training plan uh, gets gets out of whack, you get upset? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: wow. When the plan goes awry, when the plan changes, you get oh,
2: wow. I had I didn't I see th- that coming. <laughs>
1: I seem to have a brittle personality, guys. <laughs> I seem to be a little bit inflexible is what I'm is what I'm I was just through this I was just gonna offer of
2: that therapy. maybe we were detecting a theme.
1: <laughs> oh, the theme is so obvious. So obvious. But I I am curious for you guys, when and you know, I, I'm not even asking you, Patrick, but for <laughs> you, Hottie, because I know that you do have a training plan. Mm-hmm. He's when disciplined. it falls apart, what uh does it Does it get in your head or do you just go, eh, and next day I'll pick up?
0: I've learned to go, eh, and pick up because Mm. I've listened to enough uh, folks who've talked about our group, our demographic, Masters Racers, that we cannot expect to be uh, the disciples of Jonathan Vodders to a T. Jonathan is used to dealing with men and women – who dedicate themselves day in and day out to the bicycle. That is their job. And mm-hmm. now, even they have deviations, but they're slight. They're not like ours. Ours, since our lives are controlled primarily by our family lives, our jobs, those things come first, and then the bicycle. You know, the bicycle training plan can be thrown off much more easily than it can be for a pro. And therefore, you have to be ready. To adapt, and I'm wondering if if how much experience Vodders has with masters athletes. I'm sure he understands the this idea that yeah. Fatty and other masters, he's gonna have to be more pliable with us folks because we just have things that get in the way it's just too easily. Our our training plans can get tripped up. Puritization just does not take into account a guy's you know family life or his or his work life. It doesn't it doesn't know that going in, and so. You know, you have to be adaptable. You have to be able to take your plan and go, you know what, that week got screwed up. I'm either going to try and move forward and, you know, g- keep the plan moving forward or I'm going to rearrange it a little bit to make up for what I lost. Um, but either way, adapt. I think that you have yeah. to do and, and make your plan flexible.
2: You know... And
1: it. You brought up... Oh, go ahead, Patrick.
2: Well, I was just going to say... Back when I was more disciplined about my training and, you know, actively racing, I'd run into these. And I, I got to say, I'm really curious what Vaughters has to say, because I never knew if I was supposed to just continue on with my plan, just like the, you know, the week had been fine. And if I, the very next week, I just was back on plan, or if suddenly now I was supposed to shift everything. I lost a week. So now I need to do the week that I just lost. But I wasn't sure if that was the right thing because it's not like my goals suddenly changed. My mm-hmm. A races were all still my A races. And so I never knew which of those two options to take. So I'm I curious think what conven- he
0: said. So I, I think conventional wisdom is since, since you cannot move the race date, it is stationary. You are working towards that. And so the, the planning and you know, the, the three weeks on or three hard weeks, one week off or however you have it set up can't really be modified severely to make up for too much. And generally what I've read in coaching wise is you just try and move forward. First of all, get healthy, get your head straight, get sober, whatever your problem is, fix that and then move forward, pick up where you left off with your plan. And sometimes they say, especially if it's regard to illness or you've had some type of injury, you want to step back into your plan very carefully and slowly. In fact, don't go right back into hard intervals. You know, pick up with something easy to start off with, and then move move forward from there. So your date, yeah. those dates are hard. They're not going to move. Leadville is August, whatever it is. It's not going anywhere, and you're still <laughs> going to need your taper. You still need need your rest week going into that. So everything backs off, backs away from from those hard dates, and not much you can do about that. But Wadders probably has a more scientific answer than that.
1: Actually, his is a little bit more philosophic than than either of yours. Here's what he uh, replied, because I sent him a a semi-lengthy email describing how stressed I am and how things had kind of come apart for me. And he replied with this, I don't think you should be so stressed. Training isn't like putting money in the bank. It doesn't always accumulate to the sum you think it will. Training is about constantly stimulating the body in a new way that forces it to adapt. If you rode five hours every single day, even though your bank account would have a lot of miles, you wouldn't be very fast, as after six months or so, your body would no longer perceive five hours as stimuli. Mm-hmm. You don't need to take a rest day today, meaning today, so I'm working out today. Do the workout you missed last Tuesday with the short accelerations, tomorrow Do a workout that you missed last Wednesday with two and a half hours at 225 watts. So that's my, you know, it's the, hey, don't, not necessarily a don't sweat it, but, you know, things happen. Don't be so stressed. Move forward. Here's the next workout. Um, I just got to say, having him as a coach has been fantastic. You know, his uh, let's take things as they go. You can't change the past. Here's let's move forward. Awesome to work with.
2: I Yeah, it just sounds absolutely, yeah, like you said, fantastic. It's, it's remarkable, you know, the degree to which uh, he's empathetic to your situation, you know, even though as Hottie noted, you know, he's used to dealing yeah. with people for whom the bike is the number one priority in their lives, you know, and with you, it's not even number two or number three. So,
1: yeah, uh, number three. Okay. <laughs> All right. But we can, yeah, we it, can
2: bump the kids down some.
1: <laughs> no, the kids were there. The kids were there. Right? The kids were there in family, okay. family work bike. Right? Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, I, I I I think that was I think that was good stuff. I'm uh, I'm a big fan of philosophy and doing things for the right reasons and in the right way, but I'm not always great at doing it. <laughs> and I think that's the theme mm-hmm. of the of this whole first section in this episode of the podcast. Flexibility, not a bad thing. And certainly at least one portion of the cyclist universe, uh, of which I am a member, quite clearly can learn a thing or two about being a little bit flexible. And that doesn't just mean being able to touch your toes. So we're going to take a quick break right now for a word from our sponsor and then a very serious problem. Cold coffee. That's next on the pace line. By you know tearing that totally apart, and just basically not allowing there to be any sort of click. I hate clicks. I absolutely hate clicks inside of teams and, and elsewhere in society. By not allowing that to happen, you know allow new friendships to flourish, new relationships to flourish, and overcome that obstacle of of people coming from different cultures.
2: We've been talking about Health IQ and how they are helping people to source better rates on life insurance. Recently, they updated their site with new insurers and the ability to serve more people. They've got special rates for cyclists, of course, and runners, and triathletes, but also vegans and other health-conscious people now. We've mentioned they have quizzes, and these aren't just for fun. If you score elite on a quiz for a specific lifestyle, that can earn you a further discount on your life insurance. They've also replaced BMI with waist-to-hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease when it comes to athletes. Additionally, they replaced the LDL-to-HDL ratio with triglyceride-to-HDL ratio for people on low-carb or paleo diets, because that's a better predictor of cholesterol health. Amazingly, they will not take into account one incidence in a family history if you are otherwise healthy. It's like a get out of jail card. In other words, if one person in your family has had cancer or diabetes, they won't ding you for it. Finally, they can also get better rates for those with runner's heart or hypertension. Check them out at HealthIQ.com PaceLine.
1: We are back. The paceline, the podcast on two wheels, Patrick, Hottie, and Fatty. You notice that I'm very clearly saying Patrick, not <laughs> Patty. <laughs> so we got some really great feedback on last week's episode about bike commuting. Uh, Hottie, why don't you run through that?
0: Yeah. For, oh, first of all, folks, next week here in California, at least, is uh, Bike to Work Week and Bike to Work Day. Uh, comes mm-hmm. up uh, next week if you're hearing this show, um, as, you know, as soon as it comes out. If if you're not, then Bike to Work Week is probably passed, and that's all right. Generally, the month of May is like Bike to Work Month, and then they have a week, and then they have a day. They even have a bike and walk to uh, school day, so there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the month of May regarding this. Of course, we talked in depth about my new bike commute, my new job, and my new bike commute uh, last show, and we invited folks to – Fatty, you – put the call out to folks to, to write us and tell us about their bike commutes and any questions they had. And we did, we got uh, several, um, several responses on RKP. Uh, Jeff wrote us said his bike commute in Cambridge is a whopping 0.9 miles. Uh, nice. yeah. His total elevation gain or, uh, descent is seven feet between home and work. I love that ride. That's a good one. So, I mean, that's a good <laughs> example of, I mean, if you live close to work, it's, it's, riding is a great option it's almost a must-do if you can if you're a cyclist already um even in cambridge massachusetts where the weather can be horrific but he says even on the hottest summer days he's able to make it without breaking a sweat in part because most of the route is in the shade lucky jeff thanks jeff a tom and albany uh, bike commute 11.2 miles each way two to three days a week his tip number one tip stash clothes in a locker at work yes i'm doing that tip number two. If you want to take a longer ride, get up a bit earlier and do those extra miles in the morning. Yeah, except if you have to be at work at four thirty in the morning, and then yeah. pretty much you got to do it afterwards. Um, tip number three: lights, bright ones. Uh, lumens are everything for Tom. Uh, agreed. Again, if you don't live in an urban environment where you have street lighting like I do, I have lots of street lighting. Then, you know, a good. What do you think, Patrick? Uh, what's a minimum lumen count if you don't have good street lighting? What do you like to see?
2: Oh, well, you know, the funny thing is the less ambient light there is, the less powerful uh, your lights need to be to overcome that. So if you're out in the deepest, darkest wilderness, you know, 600 lumens will really do just fine because your your eyes have adjusted. It's when you're at uh, uh, like twilight, you know, and dawn where there's some light, but you still can't completely make out the road. That's when you need a really powerful light to illustrate everything because, you know, uh, your your pupils are a little more dilated, and that's honestly when you need the most help.
1: And Do you guys amazed. have favorite lights? Uh, I'm a big I
2: fan of my, Lezyne.
0: Yeah, Lezyne's. Mm-hmm. I love my little exposure. Uh, again, the British company. They're kind of they're expensive, but uh, made of really nice materials. I've had no problem with it. So exposure, and night riders. You know, uh, good light usually. So
1: I like yeah. those. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I have a Night Rider eighteen hundred on my bar and on my helmet. That's for mountain biking night mm-hmm. riding, as opposed to commuting. But that is enough uh, light to actually set nearby objects on fire. I just have to focus <laughs> the beam. <laughs> you know, uh, Nog major- has a. I was I'm just going to say,
2: but... Nog Nog has a new series of lights coming out with uh, easily replaceable batteries, so you can buy several batteries and just interchange the battery uh, with the the actual light. Um, nice. So some sometime this summer that should be out. They, they sound pretty cool.
0: Uh, we also heard from Eric. He says why he he explained why he does not commute. He says because it is thirty five miles each way and there's no safe way to get there on the roads where he lives. So we have sometimes uh. Distance can be an impediment. 35 miles, I think, would be a stretch for a lot of people. I ran into a guy uh, riding from Long Beach to Santa Monica. He said he does it a couple times a week, and told hmm. me that was about 32 or 33. A couple times a week, he, he knocks out that commute, so pretty cool. Uh, James Rota said he'd love to hear what people use to carry items with them on their commutes. Backpack, messenger bag, uh, saddlebags. Um, for me, I've been using a, a one... Well, I actually have two things I like to use. I have a Camelback. I love this bag. It's actually a runner's bag. It's a Camelback Octane. It's their Octane hmm. series. And I use the 1.8 liter. It's expandable. As a zipper, you can expand the bag. And what I love about it mo well, it's light, first of all. Um, It's not sweat proof you get a little sweaty on the back with it I love the little zipper side pockets that I can open and close without taking the backpack off You know right around you've got the kind of the belt clasp area the lower clasp area and along the side there There's just two little zipper pockets. I can fit a phone in one. I can put my keys or what have you in the other Um, It is perfect and if I'm riding along and I get a text or a phone call or what have you I can easily pull that thing out and and do my communicating on the fly. So I love my little Camelback Octane 1.8 liter. I'm on my second one. I probably need a third one at this point. And the other thing I use is a messenger bag once in a while. I know, very hipster. Um, but again, they ride low enough on your hips or over your rear that you know, you're know you not going to get as sweaty with them. I don't, mm-hmm. Messenger bags are a little awkward to me. They slide around and stuff. But um, they're pretty functional, especially if you have to get into your bag frequently. You can, you know take off the little, the little support buckle and, and twist it around and open it up and get the thing. so um, I use those two things. I have not, I've been thinking about maybe a frame bag or something um, as an alternate uh, just to give the only problem with either a messenger bag or a backpack is if you do go out for a longer ride afterwards you're hauling around something on your back for you know two or three hours so um, so having maybe a frame bag or something like that might be a nice addition to my my bag options there
1: uh but there is one big problem that you are having right and that is
0: coffee um coffee i think i I started off the last podcast slurping coffee into the microphone (laughs) i am a coffee snob i am a coffee fiend look it goes right everyone knows coffee and cycling go hand in hand uh, although I think I'm with two non-coffee, dr- no, pa- no, that's right, Fatty. You have an
1: espresso machine that you cart around with you to bike races. That's right. <laughs> oh, only two ones that I'm going to be there for a while. But yeah, yeah, I, I do love my espresso machine.
0: And Patrick, Patrick, God love him. You have you are steeped in high cycling history and lore and tradition. But the one thing you do not partake in is uh, coffee. Is that true?
2: It's true. And my mom owned a especially coffee and food store in Memphis, I could have gotten oh, no. any bean on the planet in any roast. And, you know, either whole beans or ground I, yeah, I had access to everything. And my, my body, this was like a, you know, a foreign object or, you know, a, a, a transplanted organ, my body just rejected it.
0: Well, I I am a bona fide coffee snob. I buy single-origin beans. I brew with a Chemex or with a Hario pour-over. I have a French press. I have like five brewing methods here. Uh, Office coffee just does not cut it for me. Um, So I like to cart my own coffee around uh, when I can. Now, here's the problem with my new commute is the coffee gets cold on the right end. What I'm shooting for here is a Coffee, a tumbler or a coffee, a travel mug or something that can transport coffee for a half hour to 35 minutes, somewhere in that range, without the coffee getting cold. And I would ideally like for that tumbler or that travel mug to fit in a bicycle bottle cage. Hmm. Um, I have a clean canteen and it will fit in some of the old style, you know, metallic cages, some of the new plastic ones or carbon ones, no good. Um, but the problem is even with clean canteen and that's a good you know that's a good uh, way to transport coffee stainless steel the coffee got cold and the problem with even cool coffee is you change no, this is going to bring out the snobbish portion of me with coffee you change the flavor profile of your coffee as it cools as it drops even 10 degrees there's a noticeable change in the flavor of your coffee and mm. so i'm looking for a tumbler or a travel mug that can a keep coffee warm for 30 minutes and be hopefully, uh, ride comfortably in a bottle cage. And I've, I, I found one company, any suggestions so far, anything come to mind from either of you about what I might be able to use.
2: I need to ask a question first because I'm just, I, you know, I'm so clueless. I'm going to ask, uh, what I think is an obvious question and you're probably going to laugh as soon as I ask it, but I really don't, I fail to understand uh, the thinking. I mean, you can't just have a mug at work and then pour some out of whatever you bring it in and then throw that in the microwave for a minute. Uh, no,
0: that would be. <laughs> well, I, like, I I
2: assumed that the answer is no. A, but...
0: no, 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 no. I would be like taking a you know thirty dollar a pound steak and yeah, <laughs> and trying to nuke right. it. it. Just doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. Again, flavor is going to get destroyed. Reheating coffee is another way. To destroy a good cup of coffee.
2: Okay. Um, well, you know, asked and answered. Um, the thing I wonder, you know, given that they're so good at cover- carrying liquids in so many ways, you know, have you tried any of the Camelback uh, Forge vacuum insulated uh, tumblers?
0: Yeah, I was on their website, in fact, just this week looking at their product, because if anybody should know about this, I would figure Camelback would be a leader. Uh, and they do have some entries there. They don't get specific about, uh, you know, they say in general, we'll keep th- items hot for up to four hours. But I, I, what I probably should do is reach out to them and say, look, here's what I'm trying to do. I want to carry the thing in a bottle cage as I'm rolling at 20 miles an hour. So you have the wind effect, which makes a big difference on on a, a vessel's ability to keep something hot or cold. Sure. Will it stand up to that test? Because well the... by by what i've read it just looks like it's another stainless steel vacuum insulated bottle which i have already and it's not it has failed to, mm. to keep the coffee hot enough so but there there are yeah that is an obvious choice that as a company stanley not the not the tool company but there's a company called stanley and they make a a number of different um, can- canteens and tumblers and things that carry big things of soup. They're made for the outdoorsman. They actually made a a travel mug that was contoured for bottle cages. I think it's out of production now, so they might be a choice as well. But I, Amazon.
2: Look look I, it up on Amazon. I you, you'll been, never I've been,
0: be. I, no? I've been there, and I cannot okay. find that, that old Stanley one. So if folks have suggestions about, you know, maybe there's some fishermen out there who have to go out on a cold lake, and they, they have found a way to keep their soup or their coffee or their tea hot, and i'm open to suggestions right now. wow. please. Uh, right. my coffee it's very important.
2: yeah cuz <laughs> double walled vacuum sealed uh you know though that's th- that's the state of the art construction. Mm-hmm. um you know boy. uh i don't i don't know what you do to try to top that.
1: yeah. and it's i not got nothing for you because i make it and then i drink it. <laughs> so it's I'm I'm no help to you here at all, Hottie. Mm-hmm. Plus, uh, I, I'm not that much of a snob. I, I, I probably people would uh, see what I do when I make my lattes, and you know, a, a true coffee snob would just blanch at <laughs> everything that I put in to make this really sweet, creamy, delicious latte. So, and maybe that's why I still have 15 pounds to lose. <sighs> yeah, but let's not talk about me anymore. We can avoid it, and we should. Patrick, tell us about the final hopper of this season.
2: Well, after most of them being rainy and cold, we finally Mm. got one with distinctly uh, different weather this year. Uh, The King Ridge Dirt Supreme uh, came in two flavors, uh, 60 miles and uh, 80 miles. Most everybody did the 80-mile version. I needed to get to a party... Uh, at the pump track Uh, Santa Rosa was having a grand opening for the pump track and uh, I wanted to make sure that I, I made that party and got to ride the what is essentially a new pump track with the kids but anyway to do that I had to do the 60 mile version and it was sunny it was about 70 degrees but we also had wind not not Utah variety but what was really heavy wind for California Uh, When we were on Highway 1 headed north, uh, we could see whitecaps on the water. So it was, you know, this was not a little breeze. Uh, It was really something. At one point, I got blown off the road into gravel. Um, That was probably also a little bit of me just being not sufficiently attentive. But the neat thing for me was, you know, so often uh, these things end up being kind of survival events for me. Uh, you know, just getting through them is kind of all I can do. And while this was still, you know, plenty long, uh, I was out there five hours to do 60 miles. Um, I can say wow. that I honestly raced the thing. Um, you know, looking back at my heart rate data, uh, it was, I was going pretty stinking hard and there was mm-hmm. 7,000 feet of climbing and we got 6,000 of that in the first 45 miles. <laughs> Yeah. it was really something only a couple of dirt sections um and the the big descent uh out at salt point which is man i mean you're so far out you're beyond most of the vineyards at that point point. and uh it was a little wet a little sloppy um a couple trees we had to get over Perfect. you know this yeah this thing it <laughs> served up absolutely everything that you could hope for in a mixed surface event you know, the Fort Ross climb is terribly steep at times. And then you do the climb up from Hauser Bridge. That one was also crazy steep. I mean, we're talking about, you know, multiple sections north of 20%, you know, hmm. classic stuff. I was on my Danucci with the uh, 34, 32 low gear. So I could actually get up this stuff. But man, what a, an incredibly tough event, you know, just doing the short one. Um Pleased to say that I was uh, 11th um, on the day for the 60-mile version, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think 5th out of the 50-plus set. So uh, a a sort of respectable performance. I actually made it home, uh, I think, a dozen or so of the uh, pros who were doing the 80-mile version came in just ahead of me. Uh, Poor Brian Finnerty, who was leading the thing, crushing people when he came by me on King Ridge oh my gosh the dude was flying uh, looked like he was turning about a 39.23 as he was coming up the climb dude broke his chain oh, oh. my gosh mm. so you know later on uh, Glenn Fant the owner of NorCal Bike Sport, came by me and I, I won't say I got on his wheel but I sort of rode with him a little and when we came by Finnerty you know, I saw somebody coming, you know, us, us, approaching someone and I thought, Ooh, I'm actually making up time on somebody who dropped me a little while ago. And then I see the foot out doing scooter style to keep going. And my heart sank. This wasn't even my problem. And my heart sank. I felt so badly for him. He was killing it. He really, really was, uh, the three guys who were chasing him, um, until he broke the chain, they weren't even making a dent in his lead. It was really something. Those guys, wow. What, what incredible fitness. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, shortly after Glenn passed me, we came around this right-hand band uh, on his ascent. He stands up out of the saddle and accelerates at a point where I'm just trying to ride through all the potholes and broken pavement and frost heaves and everything else. Dude gets up, you know, Turns on the power and accelerates into the descent. I was like, "Okay, thank you." Moving right along, <laughs> it was it was really something to see. So mm-hmm. I've got a lot to learn about riding around here still.
1: <laughs> you know something that I always love, and th- what you're describing here, is seeing the bike race happen from uh, from uh, from inside the bike race. Seeing it, whether it is toward the back or toward the front or wherever, watching people get super involved and aggressive about it. And that is I mean sometimes the best uh, the best seat in the in the house is actually on the stage, right? You're just yeah. getting to see it from uh, from that point of view that is unmatchable. So yeah, uh, congratulations on a good race for yourself and on seeing some amazing racing at the same time
2: yeah the pace these guys were going on the climbs was just you know i mean there was a time when it wouldn't have been mind-boggling but now at this point in my life having had my uh my birthday and you know having <laughs> uh having two little people yeah boy Oof. um I, I yeah it's it's something to see
1: For sure, for sure. Well, let's shift over to the news. There are a couple of items we wanted to bring up. This first one's going to go to you, and it is, uh, I would say, a sad story on top of a sad story. Patrick, tell us a little bit about First Flight Bicycles closing.
2: (sighs) Yeah. Unfortunately, it's just been announced that first flight is going to close. So this was the shop owned by Jeff Archer, uh, a colleague of mine. He helped with the judging of the awards at NABs. Uh, He'd been an acquaintance of mine before that. You know, uh, when he was hit by the uh, by the uh, impaired driver and killed, this wasn't, you know, how to put it? Losing him as a judge of NABS was a very tiny thing within his life. Uh, He meant a great deal more to a great many other people. Uh, Wes, the manager of the shop, certainly, you know, his wife, Julie, uh, he has two sons. You know, this was uh, a big thing in a lot of lives. Um, And it was initially announced that the shop would stay open. But uh, it's been 10 months now, and it sounds like this just isn't a sustainable, permanent solution. So unfortunately, uh, the stock is going to be sold off and the shop is going to close. And it's just such an absolutely tragic footnote uh, uh, of a shop that has been so incredibly well-respected within the industry and within that local community.
1: Yeah, yeah. A uh, tragedy on a tragedy. It's uh, sorry, super sorry to hear that. Um, on a much brighter note, tell yeah. us about this uh, th- a-, a bill that did not succeed, a bike-related bill that did not succeed, Michael.
0: Uh, yes, that would be the rolling stop sign bill in California. This is a a law that's actually been in existence in Idaho since 1982. And the idea is that cyclists are allowed to treat uh, stop signs as yield signs. Now, California had finally decided to introduce a bill. In fact, it was uh, introduced by Assemblyman Jay Olbernault. Uh, it was uh, slated to go through the legislature this year. By all indications, it had a really good chance of getting through. The major players are obviously the California Bike Coalition and all the local advocacy groups were behind uh, the bill, and uh, again, it was modeled after the the Idaho law that's been around for a long time now. And Idaho has shown that look, this yield law, this this stop sign, rolling stop sign law, actually makes cyclists safer, uh, makes everyone safer. They had the numbers to prove that. So long as you know people aren't being reckless, and this has no, uh, this had nothing to do with red lights, only with stop signs but uh the bill got its first here in california its first committee hearing at the transportation committee uh, and folks started turning out against this uh, bill real quick uh so much so that assemblyman Oberno decided to to pull the bill over concerns uh put forward by law enforcement automobile organiz- organizations and advocates for the blind um, evidently some of those folks came up and said, look, we fear that if you have cyclists rolling stop signs, they could run into somebody uh, who is blind and unable to see the cyclist coming. So for those reasons, those put forward by cops and by, I would imagine, AAA, um, the bill has been pulled for now. Obernault says he's going to go and try and work with those folks, explain the bill to them, how it works, see if he can put any kind of language in it, that will take care of their worries and then reintroduce it at a later date. So for now, California will be without a rolling uh, stop sign bill, and Idaho will remain the lone state that that has one.
1: So I actually got it backwards. I was excited. I thought that that meant I thought there was some legislation that was going to prevent a rolling stop um, that had been pulled. But no, it went the other way for us. Yeah. Yeah, they I should w- pay more attention <laughs> in school.
0: <laughs> well, you're in Utah. This is California. But, I mean, this would have been a big deal, I think, nationwide. I think you would have seen other states look to California and go, hmm, okay. I mean, it's one thing that Idaho has it and has had it for a number of years. But when California does something, it does cause this ripple effect across the nation. We saw this with e-bikes. I mean, California passed... E-bike legislation that le- uh, legitimized these types of bikes and categorized them, and now other states are starting to follow on that front. And I think the rolling stop sign would have would have had kind of the same effect nationwide. Yeah, there are probably some some states that would have said, "No way, you're not going to do this." Rural states, possibly, um, but I think otherwise, if California would and and probably still will try and go ahead with this, you would have seen a kind of a nationwide effect on it.
1: Well, that will teach me to sleep through the pre-podcast meeting.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You sounded it awake.
1: uh, Do I? I just snore very alertly. Let's move (laughs) on to the paceline picks. And I'm going to go first um, because I've just got a real nice nap. No, um, this is an item that I have not recently bought because I have not needed to buy one because they last forever. And are perfect just the way they are. I am talking about my very favorite bottle cage, which I have at current count more than twenty of. And it is the Arundel Mandible. Do you do either of you have a bottle cage that you absolutely love because they are just perfect and do not ever, ever eject a bottle?
2: King cages. Titanium? You like those? Yeah, titanium uh bottle cages from King.
0: Yeah.
1: Sweet. So, how about you,
0: Hottie? Uh, good choice, Patrick. Um, I like the lasines. Uh, they grab mm-hmm. on the side of the bottle instead. You know, usually have that that lip um, that holds the bottle down. Um, yep. The lasine has two on the side. Um, you have to know how to insert and pull the bottle out properly. You kind of have to tilt it forward. And angle it in a little bit. But man, those things hold super, super good. So I, I tend to favor those. Um, what else do I have? I have the side loading cages too by Specialized. Those are good for sure. tight frames.
1: So it, everyone's getting three paceline picks for the price of one. So uh, <laughs> let me quickly say my favorite, the Arundel Mandible. I have never, ever, even once had any bottle eject. It is light, it is good looking. It is black, and it is just a perfect bottle cage. I just – I've never had any trouble. The reason that I'm thinking about it is because my stepson just bought a new bike and texted me, what bottle cage should I get? And I said, you should get the Arundel Mandible. Mm-hmm. And he replied a few minutes later, $70. And right. I, <laughs> I look. <laughs> Oh, and to be honest, it has been so long since I have had to buy one because these bottle cages have outlasted multiple frames. They just go, you know, from from bike frame to bike frame, and move them around. When you have this many, it's not like you know my stable isn't growing; it's just churning. But it is—it's uh, worth the price, as far as I'm concerned. When it is that good and it is that reliable. Uh, the expense is worth it. So that's my paceline pick. Patrick, your turn. Uh,
2: well, I mentioned in my uh, my Sea Otter coverage, a new uh, kids bike manufacturer Prevelo and uh, two of their bikes showed up just yesterday for review and I got them assembled and put the boys on them uh, for them to check out and I'm really blown away at these bikes. They're uh, some of the models are a little more expensive than what you might find from other bike shop quality manufacturers like Specialized, but you know there are some things they're doing in terms of like you know lower bottom bracket, lower standover height, uh, a 20-inch wheel bike with a real air shock and a 10-speed cassette and actual hydraulic disc brakes. They're what they're doing at the price points they're they're reaching are really remarkably uh, value packed bikes. Again, they're not cheap. But for somebody who is going to buy a bike to go through probably a couple kids, or wants to turn around and sell it after the fact and, you know, recoup a bunch of that investment. Uh, these bikes are just absolutely remarkable and it's a a testament to the vision of the owner and the product manager he's been working with uh to bring these bikes to market i'm super impressed so we'll have a link to prevelo uh in our show notes
1: you know what you should do is put a really good bottle cage on those
2: (laughs) well they actually have bottle bosses so You can do it.
1: There you go. There you go. Okay. I'll be checking the next photos on RKP for what you put on there. You got three good options from what I understand. On (laughs) it, your turn. Yeah.
0: The three of us were roughly the same age. So quick question. In the 70s, when you were first becoming music aware, I'll say, what was your favorite rock band, Patrick?
2: Oh, um, my first big favorite rock band was Led Zeppelin.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Good one. Fatty. Rush. Rush? Yeah. Excellent. Uh, still Rush, am. Yep. Rush came to me a little later. I would say closer to 1980. I was mm-hmm. uh, uh, right there with you, Patrick. Uh, maybe a tie between Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin. I love Boston for the production value. I love what they did. So, But how about Kiss?
2: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. I wasn't cool enough for that. I, I, I couldn't understand the makeup. Come on. So. Detroit Rock City. I know. I know. I know. I'm in the minority Strutter? here. I'm just saying what's true. <laughs> Don't argue with who I was, man. All right. <laughs> you Gene can't Simmons, it. Paul Stanley, Peter Chris, Ace Frehley, the platform shoes,
0: the hair, the makeup, the entire KISS army. Like them or not, they were a, and remain, a rock and roll institution. They are also an economy into themselves. Yeah, they yeah. sold music all right, right? They are America's number one gold record award-winning group of all time, and that's in every category. KISS can easily be named as one of rock's most influential bands. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famers have released 44 albums and sold more than 100 million albums worldwide. But even more than the records and the concert tickets sold, it's the merchandising this band has engaged in. While most bands do t-shirts and other collectibles, KISS... Has plastered their image on just about everything imaginable. Kiss Bubble has heads. licensed its name, get this, to more than 3,000 product categories from lunch boxes and comic books to credit cards and even condoms. Why? become a nearly $1 billion brand. Yeah. Uh, heck, I can drive down the road and enter the world of Kiss at Gene Simmons Rock and Brews Restaurant. Yep. So uh, what does this have to do with cycling and the pace line? I've been well, wondering. now, yeah, now, you guys, you can own, for the mere price of 6500 bucks, an officially licensed KISS race bike.
2: God, I, I was hoping you wouldn't say that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is made by some Italian brand I've never heard of, and I won't even try to pronounce it. The bike is actually marketed as a triathlon bike. It comes oh. in five sizes. Choice of two group sets. If you get it with the tri-spoke front and disc rear wheel, the faces of the band members will be painted on the wheels. There there are other KISS highlights on the frame and fork. The bike comes with a certificate of authenticity signed by Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. And if you ride the bike hard (laughs) enough and fast enough, you are guaranteed to spit blood. (laughs) So my baseline pick is the KISS tri-bike.
1: Oh, Patrick, we shouldn't even try. I, I tell you, Hottie's going to win every single time. He just you know, is. I
0: would have played a little Kiss music underneath all that, but uh, these guys the are real touchy like, about no. who uses oh, their yeah. product, you know? So you, anybody want to hum kind of one? Of what have you got? You want to do a little rock and roll all night and party every day? Ah, want a rock and roll. On. That one? You like that one? Or Beth? The Big Ballad? No, yeah, no let's one's let's
2: tune? just stop while we're behind. <laughs> How? how but I'm curious. Was, how did you even find this? How did you mm. run across this?
0: Oh boy, that's a. I follow. I have a thing. He called works radio, radio. That I follow a lot of cycling sites that may have been there or just uh, Facebook somewhere. I don't know. I I can't even remember. But I just bookmarked it and said, <laughs> "Oh, that's that's a pick." Uh,
1: <laughs> all right. Oh, it certainly is. That was a good one. It is a so, pick. Patrick, what is going up or? On RKP in the near-ish future.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, I've sometimes been criticized for not ever publishing any negative reviews. People think, oh, you just love everything. It's like, well, I really prefer when something doesn't work out so well, I kind of prefer just to send it back and say, hey, what else can we take a look at? Um, As it happens, Mm -hmm. I've been on uh, the Alianti 00 of late and... It hasn't worked out for me. And it's been a real shock because normally the Aliantis are great saddles for me. But this one is shaped differently. And it is it is an Aliante, but not. And uh, so I've actually just published a sort of negative review uh, for the first time in a very long time. Also, <laughs> the, uh, the Raleigh Stuntman, uh, mm. the drop bar, go anywhere, dropper post... Uh, 700 by 700c by 50 millimeter tires. Yeah, just kind of a drop bar old school mountain bike, except with much bigger wheels and tires. Pretty fun, remarkable bike. Something I'm sort of bummed I have to send back. And actually, uh, you know, to to massage your ego a little bit, the opening line recalls your interview with Bill Strickland on the Fatty Cast.
1: Oh, well, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, that that was a good interview. I had nothing to do with it being a good interview. Strickland is just a very interesting and amazing person. So <laughs> true that. Yeah, no question. I, about I mean,
2: it. not the not that you didn't have anything to do with it being a just. He is interesting. <laughs> I I do it's actually. It's okay. I, I I liked what you brought to it, but yeah, well, he's very interesting.
1: aww oh, Well, now I feel good about myself. Thanks, man. I think we're going to go ahead and use that to finish up the episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have not, remember, subscribe, rate us, review us, all the places you normally would, especially iTunes, and we will read it if we like it or if we like most of it, and we'll read it then even if I don't like part of it. <clears throat> for Hottie and Patrick, I'm Fatty. This is The Paceline. Coffee.